0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. you were expecting to have a journal, and uh, the snowstorm this week delayed the arrival. They are expected to come tomorrow or the next day. So you will have a, you can come by this week and see us here at church and pick it up if you'd like to, or um, they'll be here next week. Right, John? John guarantees it. <clears throat> okay, before we start, James, there's just a couple things I have to celebrate. When you came into church today, you are probably unaware that Friday, Saturday, and uh, even in part today, there were 190 middle school students in this room. And uh, they said that like they were going crazy all weekend here, jumping up and down all over, and this is their stuff. So... Um, you can kind of sense them in the room even still this morning. They're here. All the middle school students and high school students over here are so glad that you're here. <clears throat> Jesus for everyone forever, that was a theme. And I'm so thankful that our students were here studying the Word of God, worshiping together, playing together, being in this room from um, a, a number of churches. So it was a great weekend for them also want to tell you that the um, Marshall Fire Kingdom Assignment Fund has just sort of gone crazy. We have had uh, over, I think, 105 people petition to love their neighbor with the resources and help and presence. And so those um, those... Grants are being made, and people are being blessed all throughout our community as members of Calvary from each of our campuses are going out and loving their neighbor and helping and getting engaged. Remember what we say, that good deeds leads to goodwill, and goodwill creates the opportunity to share the good news. So all throughout our community right now, because of the generosity of people at Calvary, little micro-grants and blessings are going out to people who've lost their home, lost everything, or not lost everything, but lost a lot. And I just want to thank you. Let's pray for the 100 people who are distributing and being alongside those who suffer. The Afghan families are here all three of them. So, all three of our teams are loving 27 immigrants who are here in our community. It is a heroic effort that our teams are being around uh, these three families, which total 27 individuals in three families. Do the math on that. And we're just loving them, helping them find their way in our community. I love that that's happening. And then, um, Samaritan's Purse is one of the organizations that's here in town and helping, um, members of the community help people who have lost their home in the Marshall Fire. And our staff went out this week and we all went to one of the homes with the, uh, Samaritan's Purse. We split up into four teams. The team that I was at gathered together with this woman at her home and before, um, We started, we circled up in prayer, and the leaders of Samaritan's Purse just sort of gathered us in a circle and said, Okay, today our mission is to try to find two things, a safe and a wedding ring. Then he led us in prayer, and we prayed, and he just said, Katrina would be really blessed, Lord, if we could just help us find this wedding ring. Amen. And off we went for three hours, sifting. I mean, this is a big house compressed to about this much ashes over the whole thing. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> Look at that. There it is. How about that? I mean, it was, it was a snapshot of euphoria in a disaster. It was beautiful, and she was thrilled. Man, we, we could hardly contain ourselves. We were in this place. Like, you just look at the disaster of it, and that's what we prayed for. That's what we found. It's a little glimpse of something in a very tragic loss. It was cool. You can be a part of Samaritan's Purse. We ended the day by circling up together, and Samaritan's Purse gave her a Bible, prayed for her, and we had this great thing. That's about all that's standing in her house, that little, that little entryway. Our community needs us, and we're well-equipped because we love God, we have God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have his truth, we have his compassion and grace. It flows through us because it's flowed to us through Jesus, and that's why we're here, and I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of stuff like this, aren't you? Okay. Why the book of James? James. It's after Hebrews. (laughs) The book of James follows Hebrews. Hebrews was dense theologically. James, written by another author, is compact, action-filled. That's what you get in the bumper, like life is moving. James is about an action book. And everybody listening, James is addressing how to be a Christian, not How to be called a Christian. Everybody wants a title. People like titles. So think of the titles. You have the title of now I'm a manager, then I'm a supervisor, I'm a coordinator, I'm a president, I'm a CEO, I'm a doctor, I'm a mom. What is the title that you have? Once you get that title, what do you have to do that you are that title? You have to do what's implied by being a manager. Like You have to learn how to manage, you have to learn how to teach, be a doctor, whatever it is. Everybody likes titles. What are our titles because we know Jesus as our Savior? What are some of our titles? Go ahead. Disciples. You're a disciple. Okay, we're... Yeah, okay, good. You get the idea. <laughs> we're, we're children of God, we're sons, we're daughters, we're forgiven, we're indwelt by the Spirit, we are, we are family to God. That's the title. James is a book about helping us live up to the title that he has given to us in Christ. How do you do that? James, the whole book, is going to help us live up to the faith we say we have. One way to think about the book of James is that it is a constant... Light on the dashboard. Uh, Is this true of you? You say you know Jesus. Is this the ethic of your life? It is a book about what it means to truly be a Christian and how does the faith I say I have in Jesus manifest itself in all of life? How does it show up when I'm sick. When I'm economically disadvantaged. When I am marginalized. When I'm under trial. When there's division and conflict. How does my faith show up there? The book of James is going to help us understand that. If you have your Bible, you're in James chapter 1. Before we start looking at things on the screen, I would suggest to you that one way of thinking about the book of James is in this perhaps key verse, James one twenty-two, which says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You have to do even as you believe. There is a verification of faith that shows up in the way I live and the way I I live with others. It's an action letter. It's a letter revealing real life lived now. In the book of James, there are more imperatives. Imperative is a command that you should do this. It's not ever going to be misconstrued to be, we do these things to be a Christian. We do these things because we, we are, we be a Christian. We we have trusted in Jesus, therefore this is the faith, this is how faith works its way out in our lives. Now listen, the image in your mind you have this morning is rummaging through three feet of ashes and finding a wedding, a diamond wedding ring and saying, yes! Yes! There is a pile of bad ideas around you and me. And every one of us, my heart goes to young people, you are bombarded with really bad ideas. And what I pray the book of James will be for you, is like reaching down into there and finding the nugget of God's truth in the midst of all the bad ideas that you're being bombarded with and say instead, this is what God says, and I believe that, while all these other ideas are crushing us. Because as soon as you get to the text of today, you're going to say to yourself, wow, that's not the way most people think. And that's the way God works sometimes. So let's get to it, shall we? Verse 1. Verse 1, the way most New Testament books begin, they begin with the author first. We always finish our letters with love, Tom. But these letters begin with James. And he's just announcing this is the author, James. We're going to hurry through the introduction a bit. But James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's the opening verse. So we get immediately known to the author, James. There are a couple options for Jameses in the New Testament. But this one is particularly interesting because it's pretty certain that this James is none other than the half-brother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We understand that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the son of Mary and Joseph. You remember the Christmas narrative that Mary found out she was pregnant and Joseph found out too soon after, and he listened to God and did not have relationships with his wife until Jesus was born. But in the Bible unfolding, after that, he was a husband to Mary, and they had sexual relations, and they had children, and James is one of them. We learn about James in John chapter 7, verse 5, when Jesus is talking with his disciples, and what it says of James and his other brothers there is not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. So you have to imagine if you think you've got a brother who had, you know, was a shining star. You walked in his shadow. Can you imagine walking in the shadow of Jesus? You're his brother. You're younger than him, and Jesus is the firstborn. And James and his brothers didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was turning water into wine, walking on the water, uh, multiplying bread, doing miracles, healing people. Here's a guy named James who is the half-brother of Jesus who doesn't even believe in him. We're told that. But after the resurrection in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 1, what you find out is that James and the brothers of Jesus were in the upper room with the disciples. And when the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6, this is what 1 Corinthians says. Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then last of all to me. This is Paul writing. So... Paul, writing about the resurrection of Jesus, says after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, he appeared to 500 people, and then he appeared to James. Who's James? His brother, who hadn't believed in him. I love it. Can you imagine that meeting of Jesus coming to James saying, It's me. I know you didn't believe in me, but I'm alive. James could have said, you did it again, you know. Always, always one spectacular thing after another. He didn't say that. He, he worshiped, and the reason he worshiped is found in the way he describes himself here. And James could have easily said, writing the book of James, I'm James, son of Mary, brother of Jesus. And you might, you like when people drop names? Yeah, he didn't do that. What does he call himself? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ever he had a window to say, I'm connected... That was it. But James, who went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem, says of himself, I am the slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just note one more thing. When James says that of Jesus, and he puts in the same sentence, God and Jesus, what is he saying about Jesus? He's affirming the deity of his half brother, and saying he, he's in a category with God. I just want you to see that James's humility is worth noting as he begins here, and then his greeting is the word uh, first to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, in the dispersion, and that's a reference primarily to Jewish Christians in the region who were dispersed probably all the way back to the captivity experiences of Israel and then the persecution in the first century and they are scattered because there's economic hardship, there is drought and people are leaving. James is really fascinated by economics and wealth and suffering and hunger and that's what pushed the people of, who are Jews out of Jerusalem recently and then, of course, further behind during the captivity periods of the old testament Jews are scattered throughout the world and he's writing primarily to Jewish Christians and the first word he gives to them is the word greetings which is you know what you could say rejoice be glad so we say hello i don't know what that means hello but he says be glad rejoice and then he breaks in to an opening, which is if you were going to start a, you know, a, a sermon, well, where would you start? He starts in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You see what I mean? that if That is contrary to the way we think about trials and difficulties. So I want to begin this way. I think James is giving us, first of all, the attitude for trials. And the next slide just highlights, everybody say it together. How often do you? How often do you count it as a joy when you have various trials? This is why the Bible thinking is so different, and it it will take the whole flow of these three verses Verse 2, 3, and 4, to get why it's possible to think with a sense of joy. Let me just be sure you hear me say, what he's not saying is be happy that you're suffering. What he's not saying is that trials are pleasant. He's not saying there's joy in the suffering, but there's joy while suffering in something else that he's going to reveal here. The attitude is a way you think in your heart. Count it means to consider, to deem it to be so, to reckon it. And it is the first imperative command. Like you're being commanded, you should think joyfully about trials. Everybody said... (laughs) I'll admit with you, it is hard. The attitude of joy will be developed through the three verses the next phrase I'd like you to see is what I just would call the inevitability of trials count it all joy my brothers not if but when and this would be another lesson for all of our middle school students to really get and we would all every every grown up would say to any student here wouldn't you life is hard When you encounter trials, you will encounter trials. Job said, as a man was born for trouble, as sparks fly upwards. You have a campfire, where do the sparks go? As sure as sparks fly up, our life is going to have trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. It's a reality that that is what is going to happen. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you, 1 Peter 4.12 says. The inevitability of trials is real. It's not going to be a surprise to us. And then the next phrase is, sort of shows the diversity of trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, when you fall into trials of various kinds. And so he's not talking about being tempted to evil, but being in the troubles of life. And in what categories do troubles come in life? I mean, they come in our health. And no more than the last two years has been so aware that everybody's afraid of their health. It's a trial. Finances, inflation, trouble and money. Who's got that? Family. Any troubles in families? I've heard there is. (laughs) Relationships. Troubles in relationships. Man, some of the greatest pains are when you're not seeing right with somebody that you love work. They call it work. It's work. It's hard. You think of every category of life and do trials come in a variety of ways. They really do. And then add to that a flood, a fire, a storm. And man, the difficulties of life are all. And it's in that kind of situation that the writer of this book, James, says, count it all joy when you encounter, when you fall into, that's the idea, when you meet oh, hello, here's a trial. when you fall into it, trials of various kind. Now, as I said to you, the attitude for trials of joy can only be fully understood once you know two other things, and that's verse 3 and 4. So verse 3 gives us a little bit of the mindset in addition to the attitude. Let's read it together. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So I would just circle, you know. You know. You're writing a journal that you don't have yet, but you'll have it next week in your own Bible. You circle, you know. You know this. What do you know for sure? What do you know for sure? You should make a list of the things you know for absolutely sure. And if you believe in the Bible, then the one thing that you can say is, you can count it joy when you go through difficult times because you can know with certainty That when your faith gets tested and you remain trusting, your faith grows. And all of our faith needs to grow. We need to know with certainty. Knowing is an active participle here. And it's just you absolutely know with certainty that this is what happens. And what is that? Well, what you know is what's hard ends up being good. Let's say that together. What's hard is good sometimes. Okay, what's hard is good sometimes. And that's what he's saying. The testing of your faith produces something. Now, the athlete knows this. The athlete knows that in order to win the gold medal, you have got to be prepared. I couldn't win a gold medal today. The soldier knows that in order to win the battle, you got to go to boot camp, right? And you have to survive boot camp in order to be ready for battle. And the farmer knows that in order to have a harvest, you have to have a spring and a summer and a fall. You have to work the land in order to get the harvest because the work produces something. Are you with me? The testing, you know that this is true. When my faith gets tested, it gets stronger. Nature tells us this. How many of you love butterflies? Okay, so I, I remember Lucy's a, home, a preschool teacher, and I remember over the years that she would occasionally get a caterpillar and put it in a little thing, and her students would watch the caterpillar create the cocoon or the uh, crystallis and wrap itself in there. And then in time the chrysalis would begin to break open and inside the caterpillar is becoming a butterfly. butterfly. And if you're, you know, eight years old, what do you want to do to the catalyst? Uh, chrysalis. You, you wanna, you'd like to open it up so that you could see the butterfly sooner. Right? Guess what happens when you help the cocoon open early? It dies because it is in the breaking out of the cocoon that nature allows the caterpillar to change into something beautiful by the energy expended in it, releasing chemicals so that wings can be developed and it can fly. Cool. How about a, an oyster? picks up a grain of sand and it becomes immediately an irritation to it. And that irritation in the oyster is there until it secretes a little substance to be around the grain of sand again and again and again. And the irritation inside the oyster becomes a beautiful pearl of beauty. Why? Nature tells us that the struggle produces something that's great. What James is saying, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because you know that what is going to happen is that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance. It's going to produce a steadfastness of resolve. Steadfastness is the idea of fortitude, a sort of heroic endurance, And that fortitude comes from close proximity to Jesus in the midst of trials. And you're in the trial, and there are a couple other things you could say when your life dissolves to a troubled mess. And let's just get real, because I don't want to just be talking spiritual language here. When your marriage is on the brink, and the trial of your life is, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Or you find out your kids have cancer. Or you find out your company's going under. There's a reversal in finances. I mean, think about your worst trial today. And I don't want to be trite about it. I want to say that is the event in your life right now in which God is saying the testing of your faith will produce an endurance, a a steadfastness, a development. There are other things you could say today rather than, okay, Lord, I'm going to learn how to count it all joy. You could say, forget you, God. If this is the way you're treating me, I'm done. And the Bible talks about People who make a fast start with Jesus, but when the difficulties of life come, they say to God, forget it. This is me here. Why are you letting me? Do you not know how important I am, God? Why are you letting me suffer here? Forget it, I'm done. And a lot of people walk away from faith. Or they become bitter. Or they stay in the church. And they become cynical curmudgeons. You know what I mean? And they just become bitter. That's not the response James says. James says, you, you know that God is up to something in the trial. He's testing your faith Refining your faith. Verse 4, so here's the will. You have an attitude of joy, a mindset. I know this is true. And then the will. The will says this, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing What is happening in the trial is that God is doing something. These two words, this is the same root word. Let steadfastness have its whole work in you. Don't short-circuit God's divine purpose of doing something through difficulty in your faith. Don't eject When God is saying, I'm putting you through this trial so that you will know who I am, you will know better what I can do in the midst of this. Don't say, I've tried Jesus and it didn't work and walk away. No, stay where you are in the midst of the trial and let steadfastness have its full effect. Make sure endurance has its full work so that you might become mature, perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Trials have a way of bringing us to the end of ourselves and and saying, that's it. And what God is saying is, I'm in the midst of that. If you will see me in the midst of that, you will become, the idea is whole. So one of the ways to think of the opposite of whole is divided. And there are a lot of people who are divided in their spiritual life. And on Sunday, it's a very spiritual experience. And the rest of the week, there's a disconnection of how, who I am with God. You know that you go through suffering to test your faith, that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe in him so that you may be whole and complete and perfect and lacking in nothing. It has the idea of being full and full-grown and whole. The only way to count your trials as a joy is if you see that God is in the midst of it producing something in you, which, by the way, takes a little bit of time. And so if you're under 20 and you're feeling the pressures, I just want you to say, is there anybody in this room over 75 who would say, trusting God through hard times is worth it? Would you just raise your hand? Yeah, just look around. People who have been through a lot more than than others because life experience is granted that. In the 18th century, there was a French philosopher, uh, actually a priest, who said, when God in his goodness sends you some disappointment, one of those trials that used to annoy you so much, before everything else, thank him for it. As for a great favor, all the more useful for the great work Of your perfection it doesn't make sense I'm in a hard time thank you God right who can say that someone who is not thinking like this world who has been pulled out of the ashes and given a title Daughter of the Most High God, I believe in you. I know you have not left me. I know this trial is for something in me that I may not even fully know till heaven, but I know I belong to you. That's something you have to know. And you might not feel joy, but there's a sense in which, okay, I'm gonna let God do his work and I know he's doing his work, so God, help my joy catch up to what my head commits to. Get that? And then I can say, I know God's working in me. One of my pastor friends, um, or actually heroes, not friends, uh, Warren Weir'sby said, Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us if we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Warren Wearsby. Listen, I I know you may be in the midst of it today. I, I just want you to know, coming into this place, you get a little cue. This is what God's truth would say. And the audience that James wrote to was in trial. And how do you do that? Well, it's very tied to being in a position in the midst of suffering and trial where you'd say, I don't know what to do. What should I do when I don't know what to do? That's next week. So I hope you come back. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we get to hear truth from your word that really... um, we couldn't find any other place. And some of us need to just um, say to you, God, I want to believe you fully today, and I'm in the midst of a trial. I've had a challenge in my life that's made me question whether or not you're real, you're there. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come alongside every person who, in the midst of suffering, has, is struggling with questioning and i know that questioning won't go away immediately god but i just pray that you will awaken our hearts to believe and then come to the place where we would could say i know i know this is true that god is at work in the midst of my suffering to do something in my heart to make me stronger in faith and be able to be able to fly and really believe in god in life through every challenge And these challenges are going to take us through different experiences. But you see us all right where we are today. And so we just say, let's just take a minute. Lord, here's here's my trial. Here's the greatest struggle I have today. Why don't you just tell that to God? God, this is my trial. I don't know how to fix it. And maybe you just want me to travel through it holding on to you when I don't know what the outcome will be. Lord, this is the way we want to approach our life with a real faith that says, I believe God more than anyone else. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'll come and do the work in every tender heart. It's asking you for help in a trial. Build our faith. Awaken our hearts to say, Lord, I trust you no matter what. And may somehow it just change into the joy of knowing that God is present in that trial so that we could say, wow, It's well with my soul. It's just good that even when it's hard, you're with us. You never leave us. You hold on. We belong to you. Oh God, build our faith Let us be steadfast in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.